and welcome to Walking the Waldorf Way. We're really excited to bring our first podcast to you, our larger community. Our hopes in this work is to bring understanding to the Waldorf pedagogy and community of what we do, why we do it, the things that we value as a community, and to help new members come to understanding with us of this special way that we are in the world. My name is Shalane Kokus. I'm the co-chair of the Waldorf School of San Diego High School, and I teach Eurythmy here in Life Skills and Occasionally Humanities classes. Hi, I'm Naomi. I'm a new Waldorf parent, and I'm here as part of the conversation to bring the parent perspective. Happy to have you here with us. Yeah. We want to give a big welcome to Amelia Vance, who is joining us. Hi, my name is Amelia Vance. I'm one of the math teachers at the high school, the Waldorf School of San Diego and I actually have a longer experience with this school because I was a student here through the grades from preschool through eighth grade before there was a high school. And uh, then I went on and went to school and went to college and traveled the world some and came back and now I'm here in a capacity as a teacher in the high school. And how long have you been teaching here? This is my fifth year. Okay. Yeah. Maybe can you start by telling us a little bit about what you love most about Waldorf education and teaching math? I actually loved my Waldorf education as a student and I have a very clear memory of sometime in eighth grade thinking about what I was going to do with my life and feeling very confident that I would become a Waldorf teacher. And at the time I had no concept of high school teaching because I was in eighth grade and I imagined I would be a grades teacher. And then when I went to school and high school, I got to experience different teachers and you know the, the curriculum and math was was something I loved early on. And then high school, I had a different experience with it. It was a little challenging, but then when I was a senior, I had a fantastic calculus teacher, and that just kind of, kind of blew my mind. I totally fell in love with what he was doing um, in his classes, and then was able to see myself moving into being a high school math teacher as a potential career. So that's kind of what led me there, but there's so many things I love about Waldorf. It would take quite a while to, to talk through all of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for, for sure, the practice that we have where we look at individuals, the students are an individual with their own spiritual journey, and we are here to help them move towards becoming free thinking individuals. So it's not about moving through an education system that gives you a grade but then so you can get a job. It's about your destiny as an individual. So that aspect I think is probably at the heart of why I want to be a Waldorf teacher. That's wonderful, thank you. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about Waldorf in my short time and experience with it is that you know, there's a lot of other types of education where it's more about teaching children what to think, right? There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. There's a, there's a way to do it. But what I've seen here at Waldorf is that it's teaching them how to think. And it's just a really beautiful thing. Yeah, totally. It's, it's teaching how to think and also providing the real experience of the world around them rather than processed experience through some kind of pre-made curriculum mm -hmm. that the students actually engage with it and they have a direct connection to the world around them in the way that they're learning the material. 
So those two things, absolutely, yeah. I was gonna say one of the things I always love is we always bring it back to the human being mm-hmm. and our relationship to humanity and its place in the world and all of the different curriculum that we bring to the students and trying to help grow this lifelong love of learning and instilling that in them. And I think Amelia does a wonderful job of that, of showing her passion for her subject and her field, whether she's running nerd club at the high school or (laughs) teaching them about Euclidean mathematical philosophy, right? So it's really beautiful to see that living in her as a faculty member and how she brings that to the students. I, just this last period, was having a conversation with 11th graders about numbers, Mm -hmm. just going back to the basics of mathematics and the very first type of number we call the counting numbers or the natural numbers. And they, if you think about how we write numbers, both Roman numerals and Arabic numerals, they actually, uh, counting is built into the shapes of them. I mean, the Roman numerals are vertical lines, one and two and three and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the five is a V, which represents the hand. If you have your hand out with your thumb, thumb out, you create a V. So that's where five comes from. And it's all built on like our hands is sort of the foundation of how we counted. So that's an area where we, yeah, connected it to our experience as human beings. That's awesome. (laughs) See, those are the kind of things I love that come to life through um, the wall of curriculum that you might not see in other places. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, you have a very unique seminar that you bring to the 12th grade. Could you share with us a little bit about that calculus seminar and how it might be different than a traditional calculus class? Some of the benefits of how you teach it? Yeah. So um, we have a four-week block that the seniors take at the beginning of their senior year to look at the introduction to calculus. And then some of the students are in a class year-round that then continues on with that work. But the entire grade gets to experience the introduction. I actually can't take credit for the curriculum. It comes from Jamie York, who's a longtime Waldorf uh, math teacher and also was a teacher at mine um, in my teacher training. But the, the premise of this class is to break down calculus to the two basic areas. All of calculus really covers two things, either finding the instantaneous rate of change of something or calculating area under a curved shape, a sort of irregular curved shape perhaps. And so we cover the, the introductions to those two things in the seminar class. So the students have, it takes, the, the curriculum takes them through this very, step-by-step kind of approach of discovering it on their own. So I'm, I'm not up there telling them, here's how we solve this problem. We actually ask questions and we have to sit in an uncomfortable space. The, one of the first questions we run into is, how can you find instantaneous speed when speed is calculated by taking the difference of two distances divided by the difference of two times? And if you're talking about an instant in time, there aren't two distances and there aren't two times. So in some sense, you're taking zero divided by zero. With Mathematically, we can't do that. If we don't know what that means, it kind of breaks mathematics. So we ask this question, how would I find, I mean, it should be the case that in a moment, I can say, this is the speed of my car at this instant, but how would I calculate that in an instant? Is it even possible? And we have to sit in that space for several days and try to process multiple approaches So the students get to work in groups in this class, and I actually do very little of here's what you do. (laughs) I mean, we we process it together as a class, but much of it is them trying out a direction and saying, oh, maybe I could find the the average speed between 
three seconds and 3.1 seconds. Now, if I take it down to a very small change of time, I'm able to do that calculation. And then what if I made it three seconds to 3.01 seconds and 3.001? What if we take that and we just shrink the time interval down until we get reasonably close? I mean, we can never get to zero if we do this process, but we get closer and closer. So what does that tell us then about speed at three seconds? You know, that kind of approach. And there are some amazing revelatory moments where, oh my gosh, we actually found an algebraic process. By doing this thinking, we can actually develop a process that then helps us to find a formula for instantaneous speed as an example. I don't know if that No, that's great. Yeah. That's great, right? So we're taking what might have been theory to many of us, yeah. right? That's studied in a more mainstream or traditional mm -hmm. setting and you're actually giving them this hands-on experience of how these mathematicians came to this point. Yeah, a, a cool thing about the curriculum too is that it, it actually relies quite heavily on one of their 10th grade seminars, which is mechanics. So in 10th grade, they studied Galileo and his experiments and how he uh, tried to calculate the motion of a ball rolling down an inclined plane. And the story goes that he dropped a cannon off the tower of the Leaning, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which is a myth, because he didn't have instruments that would calculate distances and speeds at that rate. But he, could, he did take an, a plane, like an inclined plane, and then rolled a marble or some kind of ball down it, and he could then figure out after one second, after two seconds, how far had it moved. And he was trying to understand um, how things move with, well, gravity wasn't quite developed at that point, but you know, under the influence of gravity, how do things, uh, how is their motion working? So we take that experiment from 10th grade and we then, we actually look at his data and we say, okay, so what's the average between five seconds and four seconds? How would we then use this data to, to develop you know, instantaneous speed? So it, it's tied to what they did then. I, I found that to be a really great connection to something they've done before. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've had students who really, at this point in their schooling, they see their future. They see that they're going to go into engineering or some kind of STEM field, and they feel the desire to really push ahead in the curriculum. And we've had students who came to us with some experience of calculus or went outside and we're doing some tutoring and we're getting some experience of calculus. And on some level, the discovery process of this curriculum is not served by that because if you know the answers already, you, you lose out on the experience of coming to the answer on your own. And so the first time I taught it and I had students who already knew some of the answers to these, I was mm -hmm. a little concerned about what their experience would be, if it would be spoiled for them or for others. And actually, it was really beautiful to see two students in particular who are doing an online course, they maybe got the most out of it of everybody in their class. They told me afterwards that, that the experience of having to go through the reasoning behind it, not just being told, here's what a derivative is, here's how you do a derivative, here's the, pro here's the mechanics of it, you know, that's what they knew. But why it was the way it was and how, you know, how Newton and Leibniz, who are the two, the two men in, in history who kind of developed the field, how did they get to the answer? And we can do that on our own without just being told by somebody else. That was really a rich experience for those students, you know. So it's on either spectrum, I think that the way this curriculum plays out, it's really beneficial, you know. I think there's something really beautiful about the experience of knowing that you have the ability to work it out, mm -hmm. right, to reason and really building those skills instead of relying 
solely on your memory mm -hmm. of a formula or a process, right? Mm -hmm. When you combine the two, it makes it stick so much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in some sense, you could say that you haven't really learned it unless you've done it, mm -hmm. unless you've really internally gone through the process and learned it. And I, that's one of the tenets of the way that we do education here mm -hmm. at Waldorf. So totally, yeah. Yeah, so it's that. really, it's, it's that true integration mm -hmm. of the subject. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, right, they're actually learning these faculties and these capacities for themselves. And I think it's such a huge benefit when that, they get a confidence boost in knowing like, oh, I, I can figure, I can do something that Newton did, right? Like mm -hmm. not a lot of kids necessarily walk out of high school knowing that mm -hmm. they have the ability to do this. And if they don't know how, they have the ability to figure out how they might want to do it. Yeah. Which is really great. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. They're challenged um, in multiple points in the problem solving aspects. I don't just hand them, you know, we're going to do this by simplifying this algebraic expression so that we can cancel h and then let h go to zero. I don't just hand that to them. They have to walk through it and, and get stuck in a point and call me over and say, okay, must be like, what do we do next? I don't know. Like, what can we do? But what do you see in this expression you're looking at? Is there a way to simplify it further? Maybe that could eliminate something and they can take that and they have to you know, sometimes it's frustrating for them, but they kind of need to get into that frustrating space sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we don't shy away from letting them yeah. struggle a little, and yeah. it's not a bad thing, but it's within that struggle that the, the light bulb will go off, mm -hmm. right? Where they'll see what their actual potential is and what they're capable of doing for themselves. Yeah. Um, but you have to create the space for that, too. Yeah. If we just tell them and do it for them, yeah. you know, it's definitely yeah. a different outcome mm -hmm. yeah. with it. Do you see any other long-term benefits that you've witnessed in other areas of the students' lives coming out of our approach to mathematics? You know, every year there are a number of students, I think it's just typical everywhere, every high school you're going to have students who say, why do I need to learn this, <laughs> particularly with mathematics? Why, when am I ever going to use this? I mean, that's the perennial question, right? Yeah. When am I ever going to need to know logarithms? When am I ever, like, not calculus, just every area of math, there's students mm -hmm. who ask. Why are we learning this and when am I going to need this? And depending on the context, I have there's a variety of answers to that. So if we have the time, you know, then I'll sit down with them and, and talk about it. It's true that not every student is going to need to calculate a derivative after they've left high school or they've left my math class. And that particular skill is extremely valuable under certain circumstances. And it's essential. And if you want to go on to study STEM, some STEM field in college, you should be doing this in high school, you know, you should get that exposure. But many students are not going to go anywhere near that kind of math again, or perhaps what they did in 11th grade, you know, there's a lot of areas that are just, they're there in our curriculum, but are these students going to use them later? So on the one hand, it could be extremely important to you, depending on the path you go, and on the other hand, it could be like, you're never going to see this again, you're not going to have to factor a quadratic ever again in your life, maybe. <laughs> But what's universal to everybody and why math is a, is a subject that absolutely belongs in our curriculum is because it trains us how to think logically and how to problem solve. And the 10th grade curriculum is really focused on this because we look at proofs and geometric proofs and how the ancient Greeks went through the process of developing their thinking to prove that this triangle was an isosceles or, or whatnot. But there's a system that they built of logic. So no matter what type of math you're doing, there's a kind of problem-solving aspect. And if you were to never do math, you would be a poorer 
you know, persuader in your essays. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all integrated. Your ability to reason logically really develops in your math classes. And so I tell students, we have a mock trial team here at the high school, and I tell students in 10th grade, this is the perfect time to be in mock trial because you're really living in the space of how do I put together a sound argument? And that's what the mock trial team has to do is argue a case in you know a fictional court setting, but it's all about developing our ability to reason. And just giving them a healthy outlet for that pushback that is yeah. part of their development, right? Mm -hmm. Pedagogically, they're teenagers, right? Yeah. You know, they need to see where the boundaries are, they need to rebel, they might be a little angsty. Yeah. And mock trial gives a healthy outlet for that. That's part of what I think the Waldorf curriculum does well, is seeing that need in the students where they're at developmentally and meeting them through the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And like math is really great at helping us to develop our thinking. Humanities, as another subject, is really great at helping us understand our fellow human beings. There's some of, there perhaps there's some of that in math. You could bring that in, but it's not what math, it's not the star of what math does. You know, it's not what it's really, really good at. But if you're in humanities and you're looking at the human condition and trying to, you know, analyze characters in a novel and discuss philosophical questions, that's what humanities is really good at. So it's also essential in our curriculum mm -hmm. in a different way. You know, math has this one area that it's really essential in it as well. For maybe a newer parent in our community, can you speak a little bit about how 12th grade math or this seminar meets the developing need of the 17, 18, 19 year old? Yeah, so there's a typical kind of progression of development throughout the high school ages and students come to these stages at their own time, but typically, I'll just go through them briefly, in ninth grade students are trying to understand the world outside them a little bit more, so they are asking the question, what am I seeing? What is this? What happened in the book? You know, so there's kind of a descriptive aspect, and they're looking at black and white drawing in art. In tenth grade, they are asking more how things happen. So this is why they might study mechanics, because then they can study how the machines work. In 11th grade, they're looking more inward. They start to, to see things that are invisible. So they're looking at electricity and magnetism, which you can't physically observe. They ask the question, why are things the way they are? And so when we get to 12th grade, the students are asking, who? And who, who am I? Who am I in the world around me? And Calculus, I would say that it's probably not, of all the seminars they take, it might not be the most directed to that specific question. Um, there's probably others that are a little bit more on the nose with that. But they are trying to understand how the, I mean, it's another question about how the world is working around them. And how can I, as an individual, develop my strengths as a math student? At the end of the class, I ask them to reflect on their experience in the class and one of the questions is how have I improved as a mathematician myself and um, so that gives them a moment to say well I actually have these specific capabilities I didn't have before I developed my ability to see and reason in ways that I and problem solve in ways that I might not have before and so that kind of gives them some insight but it's sort of uh, the curriculum is a little bit insular in a bit so like when they do zoology, that's really a space for them to say, wow, who am I as a human being amongst all the other beings in this, in this world? And that's kind of the heart of what's happening in 12th grade. So I feel that it, I don't know how, you know, it's, it fits in there. Yeah. 
But I think in some senses it fits also in that they get to step in on day one and say, I'm a senior. You know, this is why it's really healthy for them to do at the start. Maybe their most difficult seminar, one of the most difficult seminars, they get to do right off the bat and feel like I've arrived, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I think what's really interesting to that point is, you know, when they're showing up in your classroom and they are this whole human Mm -hmm. with all of these interests and strengths and all of this stuff. And when we're talking about calculus and Mm -hmm. and math just in general, that there are a lot of people who feel like that is not their strength. So... Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting to look at how does this curriculum for your calculus class and just as a reflection of Waldorf education make space for them to bring all of what they have to offer and not treat them as just a left brain, Mm -hmm. right, looking at problems. So in ways that you incorporate arts or maybe humanities or what movement, whatever that is. Right. Um, The way that I have structured this class is that they have uh, group work, I mentioned that earlier, that they're in groups doing work. So part of this is collaborative working, which if you go on to be a mathematician in any sense, almost nobody is a mathematician in isolation. They are working, I mean, math papers, research, whatnot, it's all published in collective, you know, so Mm -hmm. that's the kind of a an actual living experience of what it would be like to go out and do that. So they're doing some group work and processing together. And then they have worksheets that they're working on to answer these questions to explore this direction of discovery. And then their homework is to go home and basically write an essay about what happened in class. And it's kind of a new experience because one of you had essays (laughs) as your assignments for your math class, you know, it's not typical. But the idea is for them to process what happened in the lesson and to explain it themselves. And at the end, they've got a series of short, I call them written entries, short articles that walk the reader through how did we go about doing all this work? How did they go about it? And there's space in there for them to explore certain thoughts and directions that they might have, but primarily they're practicing their academic writing skills in the process. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect of it too. And I've had students come back to me and say, yeah, I absolutely keep, I'm keeping this book because it's such a great reference for them mm-hmm. if they go on to take calculus in college. And they can go back and say, oh, right, that was the process that we used to find the area under the curve. Oh, yeah, we, we divided it up into all these rectangles and we added up the areas of all these rectangles. And all right, we, we went through this process. So they have that as a reference. But I'm asking them to write their own book about calculus in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. and there's almost no other directions to it. I'm not saying you have to have, you know, you have to write this poem and then you need to have this page that comes after the and then this page. Like a lot of the stuff in our seminar books throughout the years, we kind of are, especially in ninth grade, we're telling them exactly what needs to be in there mm-hmm. in the order. And by the time they're with me as a senior, the only instructions are, that your, each written entry needs to be at least 250 words, and you need to cover the main topics. You have to figure out how you want to do that. You might have one entry that talks about average speed formulas, and then another that talks about how we estimated average speed to get to instantaneous speed. And then another entry about working through the process of finding a derivative, and but that's up to them. You know, so there's a lot of judgment, like personal judgment, and, mm-hmm. and how they're developing it. So they have ownership over that process. That's great. If you could boil down to the essence of how we teach mathematics in Waldorf in contrast to, say, a mainstream public school setting, 
how would you encompass that or if you could put that in a that's a, <laughs> well, it's, a tricky it's partly one. tricky because one of the strengths of Waldorf schools and certainly our school is that the teachers have a lot of freedom. So what happens in my classroom is not necessarily exactly what happens in my colleagues' classrooms. So I, the experience is a little different, but in general, but we, it kind of comes back to where we started earlier is the providing the experience of it to not just say, here's the quadratic formula, but rather to say, well, what if we were to take a quadratic with no numbers in it and just letters, we'll just say a squared plus ax squared plus bx plus c equals zero. And then we were to try to solve for x in the process, no numbers, we'll just let the a, b, and c sit in there. And we walk through that process, well, we could divide by a first, so we've got our leading coefficient is one. We could apply some techniques we already have that we know about, and then at the end of this whole process, we have developed the quadratic formula, and the students have gone to that experience themselves. And it's tricky using a textbook, because, which I do use, but the textbooks often, the very first thing at the top of the section is, here's the quadratic formula. <laughs> you know? So instead of opening the textbook, we set that aside, we go through our lesson, and then we might get into the textbook after we've had the experience of it, because I don't want it to be a fixed concept that's presented right away. So I think that's not just math. That's yeah. all of our classes. But math, I think it's especially problematic and common for the concept to be stated right out front mm-hmm. by teachers, by textbooks, and to not have the experience of why it is the way it is. And, you know, so that we kind of flip that on its head. And yeah, I sometimes like to refer to it, right? So often it's teaching the parts to the whole, whereas yeah. our approach is the whole first yeah. and then leading to the parts of why yeah. or how it got there. And I think what's great about that is that by doing that exploration first, it really helps them open up those knowledge gaps and create a curiosity mm-hmm. for, well, what is the actual thing, right? And then to see it later. One of the um, outcomes of approaching education this way is a, you create a sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. It just It happens naturally that students experience the phenomena first, um, and then because they've seen that experience, they're trying to, you know, understand it in their mind. Like, wait, how could it be that this could have happened? I mean, even though calculus is pretty abstract in the way that we are, are approaching it, that, wait, how can it be that, that we, can't, we can't calculate instantaneous speed because we can't divide by zero? So that gets them curious. And when we get to a solution, it's, it goes, uh, you know, their mind is like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. You know, there's a sort of um, aspect of wonder that comes from that approach. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking there's, when you think about this approach to math, what are some of the common criticisms that you have from people who don't really understand the approach? And how would you say that this course does prepare those who do want to go on into STEM? Two parts. (laughs) Yes, sorry. (laughs) So we can start with, what are some of the common criticisms that you get of, like, let's just quote-unquote Waldorf math? Mm, okay. Um, I think there's a, well, there certainly is a perception out there that we do not present enough of the, like we're not as rigorous or as advanced somehow, that the type of concepts that we bring, the level of the challenge of it, you know, mm-hmm. that it's kind of like easy math or somehow we just don't, we don't produce students who have real strengths in, in this area. 
And I mean, that we, we get so much focus on that particular thing, but that's kind of the case in all fields, that mm -hmm. if you were to require everybody to be in a play, there are some students who are never going to become actors. It's mm -hmm. not their strength, you know? And they, they gain something from the experience. It's absolutely valuable, and they, they absolutely should do it. And that's the case in math, that we have, we have such a wide variety. We have students who leave us who go on to do incredible things in their universities, top-notch schools, and are doing um, some really advanced research in topology and or engineering. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, there are those students that, you know, because inherently that's what they're passionate about and, and um, what draws them. And then, yeah, there are students who struggle. I mean, that, that's going to be the case in any school. Mm -hmm. um, I am seeing that as we've made adjustments of in the last four years that I've been here, as we've kind of shifted our curriculum so that the seniors who are taking the calculus class throughout the year, that they really get a full year of calculus. It used to be just the second semester. Mm -hmm. And we've shifted things so that they get a full year, that they're walking away with some really solid math skills. I absolutely love teaching the seniors because I sometimes forget what they can do and I will say something. I'll start saying, oh yeah, make sure that you've simplified this but before I can finish my sentence, they're already like two steps ahead because they remember, they know, I can stop kind of reminding them about things. They've sort of come into their own. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it kind of is a, I, I would say, maybe go as far as to say it's a myth that we don't teach math at a level that's comparable to other schools. But it also is individual, like the individuals will take it up in different ways. So some students you know, it's, it's just not the direction they're going to go, which is mm -hmm. fine, and we meet them where they are. That's one of the hallmarks of Waldorf education is yeah. to, to let them progress as they need to. And there are constraints that society, or, you know, expectations that society puts on the teenagers that they all need to reach some kind of, you know, they all have to score excellent on the SAT, that they all have to take the SAT, mm -hmm. that, you know, those aren't the way that we approach it because not everybody is going to be, you know, an, an excellent mathematician later on, mm -hmm. but they are all going to develop their ability to reason and think, and that's incredibly valuable. Yeah. And, and that is, to your point, a skill that they can use throughout their life in so many different areas. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of what they do or where they go. But it's not going to necessarily show up on an SAT test. No. And if you judge a student by their ability to take a timed test that's designed to just, you know, there's a specific way to take the SAT, mm -hmm. you know, so you can study that specific test, and if you judge their ability to do math on that, then you're kind of missing the point, I feel, you know. Absolutely. I um, have a California teaching credential, like multiple subjects from years ago, so don't get me started on standardized <laughs> tests, um, but, you know, I think that sitting here, some good number of years out of high school, SATs are used in such a limited way, and there's real, they're really not a great, in my opinion, predictor of success in any. And they're on their way out. Like, right. Not, the universities yeah. are recognizing that that's not really the best way for them to kind of sift through the, the pool of students applying and who they would like to be on their campus and, and in their classes. Mm -hmm. um, it's maybe applicable, I don't know, for some programs, maybe that's a valuable tool. But many, many universities are realizing that what's more valuable is meeting the students and interviewing them, seeing how they did in their classes in general, so their transcripts mm -hmm. and their essays, what they say about themselves in their life. Those are yeah. much more um, informative. Yeah. yeah. 
we often hear about our alumni and our graduates and how excited professors are to have a Waldorf student in their class mm -hmm. because they know they're going to have a problem-solving, free thinker, critical thinker that's able to look them in the eyes and have a conversation with them. Um, and so it can be Our students really are frequently the only ones that actually come to professor's office hours. <laughs> who sit, I mean, they, they, they come and tell us. I was the only one who wanted to sit in the front row. Yeah. I was the only one that raised my hand in class. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Those kind of things. Um, so again, lifelong skills that go above and beyond yeah. uh, the specific subject of mm -hmm. that seminar with us. Yeah. Would you add anything, like, just for all the parents out there? What would you want to leave them with, just in talking yeah. about this um, topic? I think the greatest gift that you can give your student is to have them in a Waldorf school. It doesn't necessarily have to be our school. If you're not in San Diego, find another school that will treat your student as an, a free-thinking individual who is deserving of respect and care and who has their own destiny. I think often about when I'm not sure about my abilities and I'm questioning, am I good enough to teach these kids? And I think, you know what? They actually are going to go on to do much greater things than me. And that's fine. And that's great. I can still stand in front of them in the classroom and be their teacher and know that in some ways they are much more than me and they will be much more than me. And um, to have a school that's going to see your student in that way, I think, is the best thing you can do for them. That's so great. No, thank you, Amelia. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for your time with us today, and thank you to our audience for listening in. Yeah, thanks yeah. for joining us. Yeah, that was fun.